source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Greetings to all of you Evertonians out there. Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Alex following Everton's 2-0 defeat in the Merseyside Derby at Anfield. Unfortunately, no Ryan with us as he's, I don't know, being involved in his kids' lives or something stupid like that and not prioritizing (laughs) the most important thing in all of our lives, which is this podcast. But maybe for the better today as Everton, of course, fell into the relegation zone for the first time this season and this being the furthest into a season, the Toffees have found themselves in the bottom three since 98-99. Burnley getting a desperately needed win against Wolves to move them above us by two points, which at this point feels pretty daunting given the runs in, which we'll discuss at the end of the episode. Before we get into instant match reactions, just a reminder, if you enjoy the show and support us, we appreciate it. It could support us even more by leaving us a reading and review on your podcast platform of choice. If you want to follow us on social media to stay up to date on all the goings on with the ATP, you can find all of those links at linktr.ee slash Pod, And you should definitely join our Discord as well and come commiserate with a bunch of angry Evertonians after the defeat today. Invite.gg slash ATP. And again, all in the description. With that said, let's get into the episode, Alex. Instant match reaction to the Derby defeat. I think it was probably an expected result. If I'm going to be honest, I was more pessimistic in terms of the scoreline. Um, I thought that there were a lot of positives shown by the team themselves with the tenacity throughout the match, uh, the organization. The thing that I'm really most annoyed about is just how the match was affected so much by the referee, which I'm sure we'll talk about in detail. Um, That, to me, was the most disappointing part of today. So uh, to put it in perspective, I mean... I think that's somewhat of a positive in itself. What about you, James? Yeah, I had zero expectation other than we were going to get absolutely battered. And the uh, opinions of our Discord members were similar in the score predictions. Basically, most predicted a loss, but very few were as conservative as 2-0. Only Wake Phil correctly predicted the 2-0. We had some 6-0s flying around, myself included, some 5-0s. Some people thought we would score, which I actually was amazed at, you know, we looked like scoring, especially early on in the first half. And, and I'm with you, Alex. The the refereeing, like, it, it feels a little, you know, like sour, you know, sore loser type of thing to, to whine about the referee. But it's, again, it is so consistently against us that you you are, you have no other explanation than there's some kind of corruption going on because there were some obvious calls throughout the match, not just in specific moments, but throughout that were missed, mishandled. Stuart Atwell completely lost control of the game early. Um, And and I'm with you as well in terms of the positives that we can take. I thought that, you know, the game plan today was very, very pragmatic, perhaps too pragmatic in some cases when you look at the possession and the average positioning, which we'll discuss shortly. But at this point, you're scrapping for every every single result you can get. And we had to do that today. And and until the 60th, 65th minute, we were right there with them in terms of opportunities created and um, chances to score. And so let's just move things along and get into the Liverpool lineup. As much as I hate discussing Liverpool in any way, shape, or form, we kind of know the drill with them. They are undefeated at home this season in the Premier League. 
on City's heels for the title race. They really needed this result. Um, some may have been slightly surprised by the strength of the lineup fielded by Jurgen Klopp, but this is huge. They were four points back at the start of the day. They get the three, move to just one behind City. They, of course, just beat Manchester City in the FA Cup semifinals and thrashed Man U 4 nil the other day, I think Tuesday. Klopp elects to make only two changes from that Manchester United lineup, and that is Diogo Jota and Kaita coming in for Luis Diaz and Jordan Henderson. So the classic Liverpool 4-3-3. Um, they're going to look to dominate the ball, as Jurgen Klopp said as much in his pre-match comments. And that they did. What about Everton, Alex? We had, yet again, some unfortunate luck in the pre-match warm-ups. We can't even, like, we can't get guys fit. And then even when we get guys fit, it's like you can't even consider them ready to go until the match literally kicks off because we're getting guys injured in the warm-up. Like, it feels like every week at this point. Yeah, so we had Dominic Calvert-Lewin still out, which is obviously, um, we miss him quite a bit. We knew Donnie Van de Beek and Gomez were uh, out injured per the pre-match presser. Uh, so we ended up having essentially three changes to the starting lineup uh, this time around. So Holgate and Keane came in for Mina and Godfrey. So Godfrey was the man that had the muscle injury in the warm-up. Um, so Keane came into the starting 11. Holgate was already uh, nailed on to the initial starting 11 um, it was confirmed, I think Greg O'Keefe tweeted uh, right after the start of the match that Mina was not in the squad, but it was simply to rest him. He was not re-injured. So I, if anything, that's probably the biggest uh, positive <laughs> the biggest uh, positive news to come out of today specifically. Um, but the third change, uh, Ducore came in for Fabian Delph, who was on the bench. Um, and I'm curious to think, James, you know, because we didn't hear necessarily anything about that, but do you think maybe Delph was was rested as well, kind of like Mina, especially since he's been, you know, long-term injured, just like uh, Mina has been, and, and Calvert-Lewin for that, for that matter? Well, I think there's an element of, of resting him, minute management for these guys down the stretch that haven't been able to consistently get into the side. But tactically, I also think DeCorey makes a lot more sense against this Liverpool side, especially when you saw how we started the match totally willing to give up possession. I think Delph is the type of player who helps you when you want to have the ball, retain possession, you know, passing. Decore is the guy who can be disruptive off the ball, cover all sorts of ground. So whether it was for rest, I think tactically it made sense and was consistent with how he wanted to play. I have no real issues with seeing Delph rested for some of these games to come. Same thing with Mina, right? This is a flyer. This is our least winnable game of the remaining matches. Uh, it is a derby, so you in theory, always want to go full strength, but pragmatism reigns supreme right now, as we will say countless more times before the season is out, and I have no real problem with the lineup selection. It is a dagger to see Ben Godfrey go out, but I was even nervous seeing the partnership of Holgate and Godfrey on the back line, given how big some of these Liverpool players are. Set pieces would be a major concern, and Liverpool ended up I think having like 13 corners just in the second half alone. And so we, you know, with those two smaller guys in, at least Keane helps with some of that aerial presence uh, on the back line. Yeah. And and so we saw that uh, essentially manifest into like a four five one, like really deep and compact um, formation for the majority of it. Obviously, we we had barely any possession, which we'll get into. But why don't you run us through kind of like the tactical setup of the match the way you saw it? Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it was pretty apparent to anyone watching when Jordan Pickford off like the first goal kick is time wasting, right? That was clearly the the directive from Frank Lampard and his staff was be as annoying and frustrating as possible and get Liverpool to lose their heads. 
I mean, we were deep, deep, deep at times and just looking to find that moment on the break, largely through Anthony Gordon. I mean, we've got some pretty ridiculous stats here, but I thought the setup was pretty intelligent and we looked well drilled and organized in terms of preventing Liverpool's danger men from getting on the ball all that much. Um, we, you saw Anthony Gordon pretty much drive our entire offense. I mean, 67% of our attack came down the left-hand side versus just 12% down the right. Liverpool also attacked quite a bit down their right, our left. Um, but that is like the type of imbalance you see when you only have, what, 14, like 17% possession throughout the match. And Anthony Gordon really acting as one of the only outlets. I mean, and then you look at the average position, right? Pretty much all of Everton's players in our half looking to defend pretty deep. Meanwhile, almost all of Liverpool's players' average position is in our half as well. So we had our backs to the wall pretty much from the word go today. And then the touch disparity, the possession, it's crazy. I mean, Liverpool, their entire back line had more than 100 touches, whereas Vitaly Mikolenko had led Everton with just 59. Um, it was it was not pretty, but it felt, you know, Nice watching at times because of those moments that we chose to break forward. We did look really dangerous um, and threatened Liverpool and really gave ourselves an opportunity to take points from this match, even if it didn't eventually, you know, end up that way. Yeah, we did. And we we saw, I mean, obviously there were not a, a ton of shots in it, at least for Everton, but we saw the shot distribution too. I mean, Everton and Liverpool both had 56% of their shots in the 18-yard box. Um, Liverpool with 33% outside of the box. Everton with 44, including uh, one uh, close to a banger from, from uh, Damari Gray. Yeah, and it's just the 11% that Liverpool got in the six yard box right that make the difference those are the ones that they scored on unfortunately but let's get into the timeline right after this so the game started and pretty much it was right off the gate you know liverpool are possessing like the majority of the ball and we saw really really fast that we were going to sit um extremely deep extremely compact i mean we saw richarlison um you know we had the front players essentially pressing a little bit but definitely not really their cbs at all you saw that we were just going to essentially sit back um we had a couple of like KG moments maybe in the first like 10 minutes when Anthony Gordon finally breaks down the left that was really the only action in the first uh, let's say 20 minutes and you know Trent Alexander-Arnold kind of tripped him up it definitely looked like a foul I think most people felt it was a foul but it was no call at all that would have been a really helpful uh, free kick for Everton in the in the starting moments but then in the 25th minute you know after no call for Anthony Gordon obviously Everton hadn't seen much of the ball to that point at all um, it had been all Liverpool, although ineffective, really in possession to that point. In the 25th minute, Anthony Gordon gets booked for simulation. And I think all the fans were pretty upset and annoyed by that at that moment in time. Right, James? Yeah. I, I, when I saw it live, I immediately was like, okay, that's a penalty. The replay, okay, he doesn't get fouled. But at this point, he's been fouled at least a few other times that had gone completely, you know, at well telling him to get up. And I think this is... A little bit the byproduct of Anthony Gordon's season so far, right? I mean, he has at least one or two of these type of dives per match. He may have started to earn himself a little bit of a reputation. This was a dive, but they're also, you know, the defender puts a foot out in front of him and he, you know, he lifts his feet up and kind of goes to ground, but he does have his path disrupted. So a yellow to me felt a little bit harsh at that point, especially as you said, following the no call from Trent Alexander-Arnold, which was a clear foul in my book. And so would by no means be the last yellow of the match. But what I was encouraged by was, yes, Liverpool had, you know, 80 plus percent possession, but they were really struggling to create 
anything of substance in our final third. They had, you know, Mane had a shot from outside of the box. They had a couple other chances, you know, playing balls in that went to no one. They were pretty shaky and they were inconsistent. We were intercepting, jumping passing lanes, trying to convert defense into offense quickly. And and I thought I thought in the early stages we honestly looked more dangerous than they did. Yeah, you know, honestly, one player that stood out to me to this point in the match for Everton was Mikalinko by far. He had a couple of good tackles um, on Salah to that point. I thought that was a huge part of of Liverpool being, um, you know, pretty ineffective. But then, you know, about nine minutes later, Everton had pretty much their best chance of the first half. Uh, Richarlison is on the counter. Ducore is charging forward with him through the middle. And Richarlison finds a pass for Ducore in behind. Um towards the right side of goal, but unfortunately, Decore slides it wide left, not even on target. That, you know, is one of those examples in which, you know, we know Everton, we're going to have very few clear-cut chances. We know, you know, Decore in behind is going to be one of those only in the match. You kind of hope on this one, he just gets it on target, even if he goes near post. You know what I mean? Try to lift it a little bit. Anything, right? Yeah, it's always hard when you're going... You know, with your right foot down the right-hand line on a tough angle trying to get it by a keeper, any keeper, especially a keeper as good as Allison. Um, and that was, I agreed, probably the best chance either side had in the entire half. And at this point, you know, the Anfield atmosphere is getting their booing. You've got Jordan Pickford hilariously just falling down and, like, clutching every single ball that comes his way, wasting 30, 40 seconds to a minute on every time he touches the ball. Just really working up Liverpool and their fans into a tizzy, which I found to be pretty hilarious and really what we should do in this scenario. It never feels great when your team is electing to do these sort of, oh, certainly not the most admirable of tactics, but you got to get the job done by any means necessary. And we were looking to do just that. Now, just before the half, I think things really started to escalate. You know, Richarlison, just a few moments before the 45th minute, he had cleared a Liverpool corner and gone down, clutching his head. I believe Atwell stopped the play because it was obviously head injury. And then he gets up and he seems to be fine. He comes back on the pitch. Play continues. And then in the 45th, he goes in to try to make a tackle. And he rolls his ankle, which you couldn't really see live, but he goes down, um, is rolling around on the ground, and Liverpool continued to play. And then Decore has to figure out a way to stop play. And so he makes a bit of an aggressive foul, picks up a yellow, tempers flare from both sides. Atwell runs in to give Decore his yellow. So over the top and dramatic. And then the players all come together. Seamus Coleman in the thick of it. Sadio Mane gets away with hands to the face of Alon. This was the second time he had put the hands to the face of a player. Got away pretty much unpunished, and it doesn't even get reviewed by VAR. In my opinion, if you have that type of coming together, the ref in the middle of things and players all around shoving, pushing, that needs to get reviewed because there's no way the referee can see everything that's going on. And at that point, it really felt like Atwell had lost control of the match. In addition to that, Liverpool were incredibly frustrated by Everton's tactical plan for the day. Yeah, it was it was super annoying. We also know that it's imperative for us on the road in this situation, um, especially nil nil going into the half that we need to keep our heads. So it was it was tough um, for us. You know, I don't think anybody wanted to see Ducore get a yellow card, but that wasn't you know, it didn't end up being a huge issue. But the other thing, too, was, you know, Klopp was making a big meal of it on the sideline, you know, approaches Lampard in his technical area. It, 
it's just an it's just an annoying outcome. But you know that essentially takes us to halftime. Um, and the funniest part about halftime, you know, because we talked about that Ducore chance being uh, the best chance for the match. So at halftime, the XG philosophy had Liverpool at 0.13 XG and Everton at 0.23. I think, you know, although things did not go our way in the first half, um, at that point in time, we had to be ecstatic going into the dressing room at nil-nil. Completely. I felt great. I mean, we're 3-3 we're three, three in shots at the half. 86 to 13 in possession, though, Alex. I mean, that is crazy. That is just one of the most lopsided possession battles you'll see. In addition, Liverpool 90% pass success to just 40, Everton below 50% at 46. Roughly even elsewhere, though, you know, four dribbles to three, four aerials to three in favor of Liverpool, but we out tackled them 12 to nine. They had more corners, three to one, and we dispossessed them twice. I mean, they had a lot more errant passes that we were intercepting as well. So hard not to look at that first half and think that was a utter and complete success from Everton's standpoint. Now, the question is, you know, how long can you really realistically get by trying to play this style and really just looking for those individual moments when Liverpool are trying to pile things on? We would, of course, find out in the second half. But before we get to the eventual Liverpool goals, there were a couple other moments that were incredibly frustrating from an Everton perspective. Yeah, I mean, you know, we came out in the second half. Liverpool essentially laid it straight on to us. Um, but in the 54th minute, you know, we were countering down the left-hand side through Anthony Gordon. He gets in behind Matip right inside Liverpool's penalty area. And Matip shoves him from behind. We get absolutely no call. Mind you, this is about 30 game minutes after Anthony Gordon gets the yellow for simulation. I'm not even sure, again, if this was reviewed. I mean, I guess it would have been reviewed by VAR, allegedly. I'm not even sure if we were told. But this right here, right, it's nil-nil in the 54th minute. This is what I'm talking about, in which, you know, it feels like the the entire trajectory of the game is changed by the referee, you know, numerous times. Like, this is not even the first time, right? This is probably the third or fourth time, like the Mane hands to the face, etc., and so I think it was extremely frustrating, again, because we know that there are few and far, you know, those chances are few and far between, like getting in behind the Liverpool defense, you know, Anthony Gordon, essentially one defender, well, not even between him and goal, right? And and so Richard Keyes, after the fact, tweets out and said that the PGMOL tells us that they would have had no complaints had Atwell given Everton a penalty at the Anfield Road end. So my question is, why didn't they ask the ref to go and look at it and make up his own mind? It was a penalty that the match day center make the decisions is madness. What did you take of it, James? I mean, how frustrating was that moment? It's just so obvious watching the match. Like, he extends his arm into the back of a player who's gotten around him, and though Gordon probably would have still had a decent amount to do, he's in the box, he goes to ground, it's a push in the back. It's a foul. It's a clear penalty. And yet, there doesn't even seem to be any sort of urgency to review it. It's classic just Everton going to roll over and just take this. I guess we've gotten robbed too many times to count this season. It's it, I was just absolutely livid. Like If that is rolls are reverse there in the opposite end, that is a penalty 100% of the time. Yeah, you know, Liverpool somehow are like immune to conceding penalties, which we'll get. There's a ridiculous stat at the end that we'll talk about, but I don't know how. Like Matip was getting absolutely owned by Gordon all game. He was getting the best of Alexander Arnold all day with his electric, explosive pace. 
And he deserved the reward at the end of that for all of his hard work, and that should have been a penalty. Um, the fact that it wasn't, that we stay level, you know, if that game goes 1-0, we go 1-0 up, we can really, really shut up shop and, and try to close this one out. It's just a completely different match, completely different game, and you're just left, again, staring at the only explanation that makes the most sense is that this is just pure corruption in some way, shape, or form. I don't, I don't have a, another answer for you because it's so obvious to anyone who knows anything about the rules of football that that's a penalty. Right. So so then three or four minutes later, right, in the 58th minute, Gordon again is down in behind on the left-hand side, and Trent Alexander-Arnold takes the yellow and fouls him. But that's another example, right? If he got that deserved yellow and free kick in like the 10th, 15th minute, then that's not an issue. He can't make that challenge or else it's, it's a red for him. You know what I mean? So so that's another example of how we could have gotten something far more out of that out of that specific situation. Um, and then a couple of minutes later, essentially, we get the Liverpool subs that we know subsequently changed the game. Yeah, just one quick thing on that, that Alexander-Arnold challenge. That's the exact type of challenge. The position in the field's a little different. The exact type of challenge that Alon got a straight red for. So riddle me that. Explain to me, because there's minimal contact, but it's the fact that he goes in with his foot raised and the stud showing, and yet somehow it's just a yellow. That was, again, it it, it boggles the mind how this can be, the refereeing can be so horrific in what's considered, quote-unquote, the best league in the world. But as you said, Alex, in the 60th minute, Luis Diaz comes on, Divock Origi comes on, Fermane and Kaida, I mean, that's just a double whammy of pain for Everton fans. Everton, of course, allegedly somewhat close to signing Luis Diaz in the summer, and then Divock Origi, who is like the bane of our entire existence, mind you that at this point he's played less than 100 total minutes for Liverpool in the Premier League this season, and yet Klopp sees fit to bring him on to be the Everton killer, which we know what happens later on, but just two minutes after those subs immediately changes the game. It's perhaps my least favorite player on Liverpool in a side that is unbelievably unlikable Andy Robertson I have some words on this in our notes that I can't use to describe him but they're not very uh positive but it's Mo Salah giving go into the box with Origi who holds his man off gives it back to Salah close range Salah floats it far post to Robertson Pickford on this one his positioning is very strange. He kind of comes across the face of the net and then goes to ground to try to stop Robertson from heading it in. Everton have seven players in the box, and yet Robertson somehow ends up completely unmarked, able to bury at home. And at 1-0, Alex, I don't know about you, but it really felt like that was going to be the backbreaker after Everton defended so resolutely for so long to concede in that manner. Didn't really feel like, you know, it felt like we are really playing for nil-nil maybe to nick one. I don't know what your thoughts were following the the goal. Yeah, I mean, it it was one of those where I just didn't feel that upset about it, only because it, you know, it felt like it was coming. It was it was storyline stuff um, from the beginning, as you said. Once the subs came on, we didn't really have a bunch of leverage in the second half. After the you know another decision went our way, it it just kind of felt like it was coming. But I was really interested to see you know how the team reacted uh, following the goal. I felt like. You know, the team did not do too poorly. They Their heads didn't drop necessarily. I thought they were still putting in a nice shift. Um, you know, it was about 10 minutes later in the 71st in which Gordon is in behind and then he ends up holding the ball well uh, with Matip on his back again. And essentially he slides the ball over for Awobi at the top of the box who then once again slides it to Gray. And he has a absolute rocket 
outside of the box. I mean, I think most Everton players were just absolutely confused as to how it didn't go in. He had Allison diving for his life. And again, that was probably one of our best chances in the second half, but it was probably also like the only thing that Greg contributed throughout the match um, to that point. Yeah, you just feel like at 1-0 down, you really now have to go after it and try to get that equalizer. Thought it would compromise our defensive shape a little bit, which it did. There were a couple moments when things started to get pretty open and up and down, a couple phases of play um, that, that made me started to get me feeling pretty nervous. But, yeah, that great chance, man. Could you imagine if that had gone in the back of the net in the top corner? It was an it was a thunderbolt, and we know how well he can strike a ball. We've talked about it so much, but just not not quite right, and just wasn't to be for Everton on the day. Now it's getting late, less than twenty minutes remaining, and Frank Lampard at last elects to make a couple of substitutions, chooses to bring on Deli Ali for Alon, and then four minutes later brings on Solomon Big Sam and Rondon for Damari Gray after he makes his one major contribution to the match. So again, Frank Lampard only using two substitutes, leaving it perhaps a little late in this case. Alex, I'm curious your thoughts on how the subs impacted the game as well as the timing. Yeah, I mean, so I wasn't surprised to see these two names in particular, um, you know, based on the last match out against Leicester and how the team kind of reacted with their in in inclusion. Um, I thought it was a little bit late, like you said. It was it was kind of frustrating, especially when, you know, you're spending almost the entire match behind the ball. You know, you get extremely tired chasing it constantly. Um, you know, I, I think they were, you know, the team in general was fatigued, but I thought that they continued to, you know, fight well. Um, Alon did not see much of the ball at all uh, throughout the 70 minutes that he played. Delhi actually had, I think, a couple more passes than Alon did, only be, being on the pitch 17 minutes. Um, but we definitely see that that's how Delhi is going to be played kind of in the center of the pitch. Um, he did keep the ball pretty well. I think he had a pretty high pass accuracy and wasn't dispossessed too much. But again, you know, it's Liverpool. We had, I think, in total, like 17% possession to the end. Rondon, same thing, right? I mean, I, I personally wouldn't have been upset to see Rondon starting over Gray with Richarlison out wide and Gordon out to the right, possibly. I think, you know, if, if you're going to look for a counterattack, I mean... You know, I think 17% possession tells you all you need to know. We could have really used Rondon. I think Richarlison was mostly ineffective and wasn't able to be effective because of that. Um, but I do think there's importance to Richarlison, you know, pressing from the front to a degree and, and, and how tenacious he is there as well, which, you know, Rondon may not offer you as much of. Um, what about you, James? How did you feel about the two? Like, did you feel that it was kind of late to, to bring them on? Maybe did you want to see anyone else? Not that uh, our bench was too deep today. No, I mean, I think things were working up until the first goal, you know, relatively well. There wasn't anyone. Every man was working hard, kind of fulfilling his role. And, and as we said at the top, they looked organized and disciplined. Like every guy sort of understood what his responsibility was, both on and off the ball. I think where you, Delhi, I understand because you get Alon off, and hopefully Delhi can get in positions higher up the pitch to have an impact. Also, a bit more adept with the ball at his feet. You lose something, obviously, defensively by doing that, but at this point, you're trailing anyway, so you kind of have to go for it. The Rondon one, I get it. I, I think I'm going to have to disagree slightly with the Richarlison thing just because we saw Jordan Pickford pinging a lot of long balls into channels that Richarlison was able to chase down, and I'm not sure that Rondon would have had that same level of impact. That said, if Rondon's in there, you can play a different style and maybe go direct 
to Rondon and hope that he can just win the balls out of the air and doesn't have to beat a man for pace. But I felt like the only way we we're going to beat Liverpool is to really get in behind them. And Rondon, I think, would struggle to have made an impact in that respect. But in the 77th minute, when you're basically having to just hoof it long and hope for the best, Rondon for Gray, who wasn't very good up to that point. It makes a lot of sense to me. I don't think I, I think Delhi out of the two subs definitely was more effective. I don't think Rondon did a whole lot of note, but you know, we, we, we move on and what more else is there to say in the eighty fifth minute, the bane of Everton's existence, Divock Origi, ends up putting this one on ice. And of course, you know, we I, I wish I had the set piece numbers. Let me pull them up real quick. I mean, Liverpool had 13 corners uh, in the game. We defended almost all of them well until the 85th minute, and we get the secondary fallout from a corner that does us in, where the corner starts from the left. It comes out to the right to Jordan Henderson, who just swings one back in. Again, it's the far post. It's Luis Diaz, who goes for a kind of ridiculous volley attempt, and he just hits it into the ground, and then Origi's there to put it away. As I said at the top, hasn't even played 100 Premier League minutes and yet comes in and looks just fully ready to go against Everton. On this one, Pickford, I think, needs to be a little bit more aggressive in coming out. He gets sucked to the far post to follow the ball and then can't get back across the face of it. It's a ridiculously ambitious move by Diaz and ultimately an effective strike, but I think Pickford lets us down a little bit there. That said, at 2-0, that was pretty much the game, and I think you know at that point, Liverpool comfortably just saw it out. To the final whistle, again, pain for Everton to go into the drop zone. and But th- at the same time, you go to that full time and it's like 2-0, okay. You know, you asked me at the, my score prediction was 6-0. So this is objectively better than that. The positives that we discussed throughout. And we'll get into some individual performances, which I think were desperately needed. I think the question becomes, you know, outside of the relatively comprehensive dominance by Liverpool. What positives do we take from this into the remainder of the season? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, mean, I think the, the the major positives taken are were the compactness and organization um, for the most part. So obviously we switched off for the two goals. Uh, it happens. It was always going to be a tough match. And, and like we both said, it was it was not a match that where we felt like, you know, we needed to get a point or we needed to get three points. I mean, I'm saying that, you know, relative to what we what we can expect against the opposition and we also know this was our you know this was our our hardest match left uh, of the season being away from home because we know we've only taken i think like six points away from home all season and then obviously liverpool are insane form uh currently with a really deep squad um but i think overall we had some really positive player performances i wanted to mention mikalenko first because as i said uh he was the one that was very uh standout uh, standout performer for me in the first half he had 59 touches as you mentioned james which was the most on the team and actually by far really uh 25 passes 60 percent pass accuracy so um higher than <laughs> higher than the team's pass accuracy at least but he had five tackles a couple clearances a couple interceptions and he won an aerial duel i thought he absolutely passed the eye tense eye test against mo salah and i think he's continuing to get better and better each match fully agree i mean it's a daunting task to have to mark, you know, Mo Salah at Anfield. Um, and I think you also have to give Anthony Gordon a little bit of credit because clearly, you know, there was some, he was getting a lot of support to Mikolenko on that left-hand side. But the kid just looks more comp- com- confident by the week. I mean, it, if you ask me after his first couple of appearances, you know, we know he's relatively limited in terms of what he offers, but he's 
pretty strong with his defensive positioning. He can't maybe get up and down the way we might want. But for a match like this, when your back's against the wall the entire 90 minutes, more or less, he did an incredibly admirable, admirable job. And it's worth noting, you know, with the backdrop of what he has going on in his home country, to be able to focus in and just be such a professional, I think he deserves a ton of credit. Another player who we've mentioned who I think stood out to me and had a good match was Abdullah Decore. Uh, we haven't seen him in a couple weeks. He'd been dropped in favor of Fabian Delph. He comes in and for this system and style did it was really one of the best players in our midfield. So disruptive. He only had 22 passes with a 63% accuracy, but five tackles, a clearance, won four aerial duels, not someone known for you know winning a ton in the air and a couple of interceptions. I thought he was really pivotal for springing our attack. And he was supporting our, our attackers, both Gordon and Richarlison, in a lot of cases with those bursts bursts forward. Like the the endurance that he has and ability to get up and down the pitch can't be discounted today. Uh you know, we know how it ended, but I was pleased with Decore. You know, his his form's been pretty inconsistent, at least in, you know, this season in particular, but I think towards in recent matches. So good to see him stand up to be counted. Yeah, he really was too. I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of how he fit in this in this formation. His stats easily prove it. Um, next guy on the list, I think, obviously, is going to be Anthony Gordon Wright. Forty-one touches, the most behind Mikalinko, and as you said, he did a ton of um, supporting work for Mikalinko. Obviously, only having uh, a barely any any bit of the ball today, but he only had nine passes, which I thought was nuts. We know that. Anthony Gordon, at least by the eye test, uh, is one that prefers a dribble more than anything. But that was very, you know, surprising to me. No, no key passes. Only one, sh- one shot, none on target. Seventy-seven percent pass accuracy, though. Um, he won four fouls. Should have been more. We said that. Uh, a couple of successful di- dribbles, dispossessed once. He had eight bad touches, though. But he did, as as you said, support Mikalenko, a tackle, an interception, a clearance. Um, I think. You know, everyone agrees it was a, a really good outing for Anthony Gordon today, um, which has been, you know, pretty consistent recently for us. The local lad putting the team on his back. I mean, he was truly our standout in terms of being able to transition uh, any sort of attacking opportunities that we had. He was looking to take men on every single time he got the ball. He's being incredibly direct, just tape, straight up beating guys for pace. I don't he looked the fastest I've ever seen him and we know he's not a slowpoke. Like he was explosive and just blowing by, you know, the likes of Alexander Arnold, their center backs, their entire midfield. And I thought his you know, he had eight bad touches, but for some reason that seems like it's off to me because I felt like his ball retention was actually halfway decent, at least in comparison to the rest of the team. Um I, I thought this was one of his best performances in a blue shirt. He'll be gutted to not be able to have had more of an impact and, you know, the type of kid that he just continues to mature in front of our eyes. And, like, you can tell what a dynamic player that is just waiting in the wings to continue to develop and, you know, excited for what is to come from Anthony Gordon. I thought, you know, he never, never stopped. I was worried he was going to run out of gas because it felt like he had 20 or 30 full field sprints where he was just going, going, going on a ridiculous clip. And Lampard elected to to keep him on for the full 90, and I think that was the right decision. No doubt. And then let's talk about Richie lastly, because, you know, we, we kind of had a, a slight disagreement on how effective he was. And to be fair, I mean, I think he did a, a, a decent job, at least by the numbers, right? So 39 touches, a couple shots, one on target. Um, but he did have two key passes, tied most on the team, also with a Wobie. 
um, 13 successful passes, 69% pass accuracy. Not not terrible, I guess. But uh, he had a That's couple fouls. One successful. What is? That's crazy. That 13 successful passes like tied for the most in the team. Like what? Yeah, yeah. No, anyway. no, no. Sorry, sorry. Two key passes tied for most. Oh, of the team sorry. Okay, okay. That with Awobi, they both gotcha. had two key passes. Yeah. That makes more um, sense. <laughs> I would really hope not 13 passes. Like, good oh, God, God. <laughs> um, that would be so bad. Okay, please continue. Sorry, Alex. <laughs> but no, but no, no. But no, nonetheless, um, Richie also had a couple of good uh, defensive moments. Couple clear or three clears. Excuse me. Um, so and and like I said, a successful tackle. Um, so good defensive output. Um, again, I'll always contend that Richie's best position is on the left. But either way, I mean, he was central, obviously, to uh, everything going forward, whether that was, you know, one of the passes or, you know, just assisting Anthony Gordon down the left-hand side. Um, so a decent outing for him. Hopefully he continues to step it up because we really need Richie firing on all cylinders through the rest of the season. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting if Dominic Calvert-Lewin is back for our next matches. You know, how Frank fits these kind of pieces together. It feels like probably Damari Gray would be the one to drop over the likes of Richie or Gordon. Um, but it's going to be kind of an interesting puzzle to have to fit together, but I agree with that assessment, Alex. I thought Richarlison was about as good as he could be today, given, you know, the lack of service um, and, you know, his pace, his ability to try to beat a man was, was useful, but, um, you know, in the end, he kind of, I think he kind of struggled a little bit and probably took a backseat to Anthony Gordon, who I think was a better performer, but let's pivot into some comments from Twitter. We didn't do a post-match tweet, um, that's my bad, so I apologize. We don't have listener reactions for this one, but we will get into some tweets that we pulled. I think we talked about it a little bit, Alex. The question is, you know, what do we take from the performance result today? Um, but first off, we have a quote from our manager, Frank Lampard, talking about the no-call penalty. He said, it was a penalty. If that was Mo Salah at the other end, he gets a penalty. You don't get them here. That's the reality of football sometimes. So, one of the things that I appreciate about Frank Lampard is he's not afraid to ruffle some feathers and call it like it is. Clear as day. You're even getting, you know, Jamie Carragher on British TV saying that it was a stonewall penalty. It's obviously easy for them to say that after the fact when they just won, but it just shows what a disgrace it was that it wasn't called live. And again, it's the same thing with the Roger handball. Like these are obvious, obvious calls that we're just not kidding. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, look, it's it's good to see Lampard call them out for their BS once again. You know, and I'll even go to, you know, something that we talked about, like like the Pickford time wasting, you know, Gordon going down a bunch, which is not necessarily great to see. Uh, Ducore, you know, with the cynical tackle. I mean, how many times over the years have we pointed to one of our problems being that we are too nice as a football club? Like we are upset about how, you know, you know, essentially gentlemen like our, our team can be. Uh, sometimes that, you know, criticism was aimed at Seamus Coleman. So I think that it's important to note that the team definitely sees where they're at, that they're in a relegation battle. Obviously, it doesn't need to be said. Um, but they're reacting the way that they kind of need to be. I think they're they're acting like uh, particular uh, <laughs> houses. And I think I like the reaction from Lampard. I think uh, take the fine and, and get the fans singing at Goodison uh, once more again soon, essentially. Yeah, and then we had a tweet from Tom Long, uh, T Long underscore FTBL football. Um, just again, we're, we're gonna we're gonna harp on the refereeing today because that's what I'm most mad about, to be honest. And he's Tom says, Mane hits two Everton players in the face. Alexander Arnold, last man pushing Gordon in the back. 
Massive argument for two, for Liverpool to have two players off here. VAR has been put in place for getting these decisions correctly, no matter where the game is being held. Hashtag EFC. That's what, ju- that's what just gets me, Alex, I guess, about all this is like, you have this system that gives you the capability to, in theory, get pretty much every major decision correct, and yet they find ways to continue to mess it up, and it feels like it always goes in favor of the teams at the top. So if it's supposed to be sort of a level the playing field type of situation, nope, it just has seemingly entrenched the corruption and the ability for the top sides to get all the calls that they possibly want. No, it absolutely is. I mean, it's just turned into now, like, I think most fans can can agree that I think we're past like the the story of it being incompetence to how it should be used. I mean, it's just a blatant disregard for I think how the system should be implemented, and, it, and it's an out for the referees at this point. Um, we also had Gareth Jones at Photo Gareth. You know, Everton are nowhere near the same level level as Liverpool, million miles off it. However, had an Everton player poked a Liverpool player in the hand, in the eye, or had Salah been brought down like Gordon was, you can't tell me a red card and pen wouldn't have been given. And I think. Most people would agree with that. And, you know, you and I talk about it like we're not ones to constantly harp on it like that or, or make, you know, that that's usually usually an easy statement to say after any non-call for for a biased fan. But it's it's the, it's the correct thing to say. You, you can't get away from just saying that the referee absolutely changed the match completely multiple instances over. And then we had Lewis Warrington, of course, uh, an Everton player currently on loan at Tranmere Rovers tweet VAR not working today. Joke, shrug emoji, poop emoji. So everyone's kind of getting in on the fun here, or lack of fun. Uh, Dogs of War at Everton Football said, think we will finish on more referee apologies than points at this rate. And that, again, comes back into play. It's like, we get these calls, we get these missed opportunities. Okay, we could have gotten a point from the City match in theory. We could have gotten a point today. These points make a huge difference. Like those two points, okay, we're level with Burnley all of a sudden. Right, we're still behind them on goal difference, but it changes things, um, and it costs us. And we've had it happen far too many times this season. And it, it's all well and good to say, "Oh, well, we're sorry, we messed up the call." But it's like, well, you again, there was no reason for it to be missed. You had all the tools, you had all the video, you had all the replays, and you botched it. So to go back after the fact and say sorry is just a joke. It doesn't help us. Doesn't make us feel any better unless you apologize. You know, uh, my high school soccer coach used to always say, "It's only a mistake if you don't learn from it." Well, if you apologize and then all of a sudden the next match you do the exact same thing again, then it really is an empty apology that doesn't mean anything whatsoever. So it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, you know, a handful of these missed calls paired with their apologies is worth about a hundred million pounds a year to Everton and TV rev- revenue alone. If we end up going down. Um, so, so I think that's obviously the most frustrating part. And then we had Phil Hayward, you know, he said, that's the hardest game out of the way in our run-in. Proud of that performance. We had a few half chances and could have got something if we were more composed. It's still in our hands. Perform like that. And I really think we will survive. We have to keep believing. I think we can both or all appreciate uh, the positivity coming from Phil. And then James, I'm going to cue you up for your uh, crazy statistic to end this episode. I know you're excited to share this one. Yeah, hat tip to uh, RuPaul Pogba on Twitter, a longtime listener to the show who sent this to us just before we kicked off recording. This sums it up. You just you just couldn't sum it up any better. The num- So this is from Opta Joe, as Alex said. 46, the number 46, 
Liverpool haven't had a penalty awarded against them in any of their last 46 league matches. The longest active run for any Premier League side. Liverpool at 46. Next highest is, you guessed it, Manchester City at 24. And then Everton somehow in third at 19. Newcastle with 18. 14, Aston Villa. So Liverpool now almost double the length of time of the next highest club and since they've had a penalty awarded against them. Should have had one or two today. That's not just like discipline defending. That's just getting a lot of help from the referees. Um, and it's quite frankly disgraceful. But I'd like to pivot away from that because we think we've maybe done enough griping about the referees today. And maybe end, you know, Phil, I think, made a really positive comment. We can look at the respective run-ins. It looks like at this point, that Watford and Norwich are pretty much nailed on to go down, which leaves currently Leeds in 16th on 33 points, Burnley in 17th on 31 points, and Everton in 18th on 29 points. And look, Burnley, honestly, they have a much easier run in, I think, than both other sides. People saying they think Leeds might be sucked back down into the fight. Burnley play Watford, Villa, Spurs away, Villa away and Newcastle. So only one top six side and a couple relatively easy matches you'd think for them. Leeds, on the other hand, play Palace tomorrow, which is going to be just an enormous match. If they manage to win that, it's going to be so, so difficult for us. But then they also play City at home, Arsenal away, Chelsea at home, Brighton, who are no slouches, and they end the season against Brentford. So Alex, looking at, you know, the respective schedules, because it feels like, I guess my point being, like, we can't, we t- still technically have our fate in our hands, but it feels like we're probably going to need a little bit of help from one of these other two sides dropping the ball in at least one or two matches. Curious your thoughts. Yeah, I, I mean, look, the narrative has seemed to change now in the last couple days, obviously, especially since yesterday. Um, you know, people seem to think that Burnley is not really going to be in the conversation in the next couple weeks, um, and we should really be looking at trying to catch leads. With a little help, um, you know, with Leeds uh, capitulation, although I don't necessarily want to see that with Jesse Marsh there. But nonetheless, him uh, way less than Everton any day of the week, of course. Please don't get angry at me for saying that. Um, I think I think it's going to be really tough. Like we are staring um, legitimate relegation, you know, in the eyes. I think that we're going to need more luck than we have seen currently. I, I, I genuinely don't know that, uh, you know, passion, spirit, commitment, um, you know, our injury record is going to help us or be enough to avoid it. Um, but I think for our sake, for, you know, the best fans in the world, I hope that we do avoid it. Um, I hope for the players that, you know, they avoid it. And I hope that, you know, we can somehow go into the summer in 17th place and look forward to any positive for next season. Yeah. I'm just looking at the schedule, right? Um, and the problem is, you know, we have some favorable matches. You know, we play Leicester, we play Watford, but they're both away. And we haven't really, I think, Frank, we've now lost seven away matches in a row under Frank. So it's just it's just going to be tough. Like, if we can scrape a, pointer, a point against Chelsea at home, that would be really, really big. But honestly, after I saw Burnley score against Wolves today, I was watching the match. I just felt like this, this sinking feeling in my stomach. I felt sick um, because... That match against Burnley that we capitulated and lost the lead really felt like a bit of a dagger. But I wouldn't put it past either of these other sides to slip up, and it's just got to be 
Everton that's there to, to take their chances and mop up. And look, the last few matches, though, you know, the, the match today didn't go our way. We still picked up four points from United and Leicester, which is not the end of the world. So I think really we need, you know, seven or eight at least points from these remaining six fixtures to have a chance um, and hope that Leeds or Burnley slip up along the way, though. Burnley now unbeaten in three, but anyway, enough on that, and I think probably enough on this episode of the American Toffee Podcast. Hope that you all enjoyed it as much as possible. I know it's a bit of a deflating result, but we go forward. We are blues through and through. We support the team, win, lose, or draw. And uh, if you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. You'll find all of the links to our social media, et cetera, et cetera, in the description of the episode. Otherwise, we'll be with you following our next match. And until then, up the toffees.